that's a fantastic question. That's a great question. I've not, I've never thought about that. And I don't know if I want to answer that one. My guest today, the VP of Enterprise Sales at Adyen, Pierre Buda, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's a privilege to be on this podcast. Looking Pleasure's all mine. Your name is French. Yes. I don't detect, I think deeply buried, there's a French accent, but it's deeply buried. I saw you went to school in Japan. You went to college in Warwick. Tell me a little bit of where you grew up. I'm fascinated by that. The, sure. Those elements. I think it's the first questions every time I meet someone, they are confused by my name and by my accent and they can't put two and two together because yeah, French people are notoriously, let's say recognizable when they speak English. And so I am originally French. Uh, my parents are French. I speak fluent French. I was born in a small town called Béziers in, uh, in the south of France, which is uh, about an hour from Montpellier. But my parents at the time were already expatriates. And so 10 days later, 10 days after my birth, I went to Japan and I lived there for in total 15 years. So the first part was six years. I went to international school there, a boys Catholic school mm -hmm. run by Canadian brothers, which is quite random. If, if you put those two and two together and, and, and then I did three years in Germany. And then again, I went back to Japan and, and finished my high school there before moving to England to do my studies. So quite, uh, quite, a, quite a, let's say, uh, back and forth between a, a bunch of uh, countries. That, that's sort of the reason where I got my accent. I went to international schools. My teachers yeah. were Irish, American, Canadian, so a, a, a bit of a neutral one. And, and whenever I actually interact with a different culture, my accent also changes a little bit to adapt to, to which is, which is a bit strange. <laughs> what was that like growing up in Japan? Because. You're not, your parents would have been expats there, but you had grew up there essentially, yeah. but you also grew up in a out of context environment, going to international schools and so on. So I'm, I'm fascinated by that. It's not an experience that too many people would have had. Yeah. Um, they actually, there's for people who have sort of that, um, because it, indeed I think it has an impact. Uh, you're right. Um, they support a, a um, true home or a true place you can call home as an international uh, person living in a in a different country, and and they uh, TCKs. TCKs are third culture kids, so wow. individuals that grow up not grow up in a country that is not from their, um, let's say, ethnicity or or they. And, or, or the native country from the, and, mm. and so indeed, I think growing up, I wasn't aware of these concepts, of course. And yeah, I attached myself to, let's say the, and, and, and the family and the culture that was around me at the time. But as you grow conscious that you are not from this place, of course, time you, you, you also latch on to different aspects of that it like, you know, and, and, and being patriotic about France, let's say during a full, uh, but at the same time, loving Japan and loving people there and, and the food and the culture. So splitting, let um, your loyalties across different, uh, different cultures is, is something that you get used to over time. That's deeply, deeply fascinating in that you grew up, you, you are displaced somewhat from the Japanese, uh, but you're there to appreciate all the elements of their culture. Yeah. And therefore you latch on to this French identity, which you have no recollections of. Yeah. That's, that's fast. It's the, the human need. Yeah. I mean, for identity. Yeah. In, in, yeah, I think so. And I think it's also because people that you would meet that are not familiar with this type of bringing would would make quite immediately i mean i did i did spend three to four months of the year in my childhood over the summers and the christmases in france i built 
friendships there. But as I was there, I would be made immediately aware that, oh, fully, fully French in, in their mind because, well, A, when I speak English, I don't have an accent, but, but also B, I don't know, the French expressions or slang, um, yeah, different ways of thinking that are very unique to, to French people I didn't adhere to. So they could immediately, let's say, recognize that I wasn't. Uh, fully French from a from ident identity perspective, even though both of my parents are French and I, I speak fluent French. Yeah. As a business leader, how did that unique experience, that TCK experience, how does that benefit you? Yeah. Um, I think once I start the culture map, by it sort of put my experiences on paper and really helped me shape how I sell in a multicultural environment. So thankfully at Adyen, I have a global, let's say mandate, and I can sell in any territory and every territory that I'm into. And, and that background, that experience interacted with a lot of different cultures allows me to adapt my sales methodologies or sales approaches based on how these different cultures do business. You know, in, in Japan, it's, yes, it's hierarchical, but and, and, and so you need to um, go through a, a specific patent on how to sell, let's say in a country like versus uh, in a country like France, where it's, it's hierarchical, but the decision-making and the decision-making is done from a top-down approach instead this based approach and and I sort of learned subconsciously but then seeing them written on paper that that suddenly validated I thought about how there isn't a strict system there is um you know that is a that is one size fits all in all countries you have to be aware of the specificities of each of of these cultures yeah. and adapt your approach Endlessly fascinating. I, I remember reading a book called Culture GPS. The interesting thing, about, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it comes, comes with an app. Okay. And so what you can do is you can put your own country in it and, and, and it rate is the wrong word, but it gives you characteristic five different uh, attributes. And I don't remember all five. There's a couple of that stood out to me. One, differential. Another one is uh, tolerance of ambiguity, for example, within a given culture. And so you do what you always do with these things. Like when you look at a uh, first, uh, you put it in and you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I get that. I remember looking up Ireland, for example, and it said power differential, which, as they exp explain it, is the difference from the bottom of, of a social ladder looking up. How do you see power distributed evenly or unevenly? And Ireland had a pretty low score. It was actually third or fourth low. The US was low. Uh, the Antipodean country, South Africa, uh, Australia, New Zealand were. And, and if, if you were in a room with the CEO of a company, you'd feel perfectly comfortable. You wouldn't feel that there was a massive power differential. Yeah. France was quite high. It was like 60 on the scale. But I remember doing a class. I was in Jordan, in Amman. And we had a group from the region and they, they wanted, oh yeah, there was another one, which is, which is decisions get made. Are, are we eye centered? Is it all of, sorry, is it all about the individual or about the we, the group? Yeah. And they were really high, like it was 80 on that, but they were saying, well, but it's much higher. And they pointed to some other country in the region. And I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, Yemen or somewhere, but I remember looking it up and sure enough, they, in terms of the, the hierarchies and how that power, and of course, that obviously is important in a sale, selling. Yeah. And, and I remember about this and thinking, yeah, when, when you're trying to working with reps and you're trying to get them comfortable being in a room, for example, that that's going to be very different in your particular culture. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I just I wonder about your own experience with that, being able to, not just adapt to the 
the, the norms, like for example, about consensus in Japan, but also about power distribution mm -hmm. in different cultures. And how do you map to that? How do you manage that process? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And, and, and I think actually living and working for a company that is, um, taught me, that has taught me to be very direct in certain situations actually allowed to, to grow uh, my confidence and help my peers grow their confidence when being in a room with a CEO that is managing a, I don't know, bank. Um, you were, you were sort of thrown on the deep end at a very age. I, you know, was speaking to CEOs of these financial institutions, 23, 24, 25. And, and they're in their forties and fifties and you try to, you have to have a credible stance. You have to be knowledgeable uh, about being able and, and to, um, uh, you know, treat curveballs in a confident way in front of someone had a career, you know, twice as long as you, uh, even before you were born. So, you know, and, and, and that clearly in different cultures, uh, if you you're doing, they make you feel that, right? Um, in France, I've been put in, in front of CEO. You feel like, you know, if you don't have gray hair on your head, then there's no point in me talking to you. And so you really, you having that experience allows you to, to weather that storm in a, in a way, weather those painful interactions. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think being part of a, a company or being having been part of companies in the Netherlands, having that attitude has allowed uh, me to to be a go getter and to to face those awkward situations. I think it's very important for sales reps to, uh, if you're going to be in sales, you need to step out outside of your comfort zone and you need to have these awkward, painful moments. It's not a happy go ride those first five years of your 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 career it's going to be very painful it's going to be very uncomfortable and you're probably so much initially uh and i think and and and, and sales reps are aware of that but mm -hmm. the grind is worth the the wait yeah yeah that's the only reason why i dye my hair gray is <laughs> quickly at that one <laughs> and, and i should i should dye my hair then i should day yes um when you were younger did you have any sense or what was your sense of what? Um, yeah, I never, I never saw myself. I fell into that. Uh, had a bit of a, uh, lingering desire to or become an actor. Um, go into the sort of the arts was, uh, my, and my parents have all been sort of in that, in that sort of artsy world by that because he was a car designer, uh, for automobile and always, you know, very creative. Uh, my eldest sister is an architect and an interior designer. And my other sister is in film as, a, you know, as an aspiring director, but also multiple different jobs in the field and and now she's an actual artist painting and so it's always been sort of a deep deep desire to have gone that way for some reason i felt like it, i maybe didn't have the um and 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 and, and go that avenue so sales was a way of leveraging the scales the or let's say the attributes that um that an act potentially a stand-up comic mm. um could develop mm. and also have a tangible impact on my own wealth and my own success and being held accountable for the mm. amount of effort that i put in yeah yeah i would have thought there's a huge amount of what you've said in a sales role particularly as you describe it where you're dealing with multiple personality types and culture it's a performance in many respects you do you do have to inhabit a different skin, if you like, in those roles. And the stand-up 
if you think about what they're very good at, they're very good at building rapport quickly with an audience, at weeding an audience, adapting to it, being able to tell stories in, you know, in, in a minimalistic way that has maximum impact, which again yeah. is the skill of a great salesperson is to craft that. So I would have thought that you're drawing on a lot of that creativity in your role. In, indeed, indeed, absolutely. I think storytelling is part of, of sales um, and, and, and doing that in a simplified way, like you, keeping, it, keeping it short, sweet, and simple, um, but delivering, uh, I think, is, is the key of, is, is at the heart of every great story. Mm. If mm. you overcomplicate things, and I think it's, you fall into, you know, feature shows, feature discussions, and, but you're, 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 you if you go down that route when you do sales and, and it's, a, it's about painting a picture, uh, individuals or companies that, um, that value to, um, and, and mm. starting sort of a hero's journey and a hero's arc, right? Where, where you, you paint and you explain the challenges and then, you know, the outcome of challenges and, and that, mm. that, that definitely, um, is a storyteller type of. What got you into sales? Uh, also a great question. Um, so I was, I, after college, after university, I was, um, a bit depressed. I actually was sick of academia. I hadn't done a proper job in my life and I had been stuck doing academia for four years now in topics that were in retrospect in terms of understanding, you know, general philosophy, politics, and, and, and economics. And those, those were great topics, but I saw that my peers were going straight into banking, investment banking, Canary Wharf, the suits, or becoming accountants, becoming consultants. And I, and I, for some reason, you know, the careers at the universities were just about that. And I felt, is that, is, is to, <laughs> to, to work? Do I have to become one of these people? Cause I, I clearly didn't want to do that. And. So I, I did a bit of soul searching, a bit of it. I, I went, I traveled to Australia, did some with, uh, friends from, from an, uh, an, an American and we decided, decided we would go traveling in Australia. We, uh, I was doing demolition work and doing night shifts, manual labor, uh, you know, breaking wall papers that ended up on a banana farm. Um, but then I had of mine coming out to Australia and he sort of, uh, sat me down and we, we had a beer and he talked to multi marketing firm at point. Um, and, uh, and I was like, sort of compelled to, to join. Um, and, and he explained like, there's a system and if you do, you can make a lot. Of money. And so I was like, well, I'm, I'm skint. Uh, I'm a bit broke out here in Australia and I want to spend, uh, I want to save and spend some money on great activities, but I'm not able to do that out here. I want to buy a van. I want to travel a bit to see the West coast. So I, I immediately that. And, and basically what we would do is I was one of those annoying individuals that, uh, that would have booths and, and, and sort of, uh, convince people to come over, start a conversation and sign them up subscription. And actually these were for, uh, for charities. So mm -hmm. we were professional fundraisers and I think there's a stigma against professional fund. People think, why should you be making money on, uh, on charitable donations? There's a, there was an, there's an, um, account that is, well, if charities treat, uh, non-for-profits treat themselves like a business, they end up actually getting more donations. They end up actually making a lot more money for the cause. Calculation that one, uh, every, every, uh, dollar that you put in, in a human advertisement, a professional fundraiser, you would get 10 out of it. But if you put an, a dollar in an advertisement on TV, you would only get two or three. So there was a tangible ROI to getting professional fundraisers out in the street and paying them to do a good job to, to get donations. And that's how I fell into sales. I fell out, of, let's say this potential company, because it did feel like a bit of a cult. 
you know, the whole MLM style or like what that, what that, uh, yeah. what the vibe is. Um, but I, that I, I following it, following a methodology and, and doing it correctly can, can actually better my own wealth, better my own success was something that I possible, you know, you were in mm -hmm. control of your own destiny there. And, and, and that's something that's possible with many other jobs and many other industries where you just do nine to five and clock in and clock out. For sure. Sorry um, for the, the long ramble there. But no, I, not at all. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And you're familiar with the term chuggers. Chuggers? Yeah. Uh, that's no. That's what, when, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> It's a, it's a term for people who approach you in the street, raising money for charities. Ah, okay. And it's a, a concatenation of charity muggers. Yes. And, and I share that just because that's how people perceive it. But I'm always, I'll often stop and talk to people or when they call to the door, because I'm fascinated by the nature to do a job, easy job. Um, I've, I've, I've stopped, uh, Mormons who've called to my door to talk about what it takes to be able to go from door to door Absolutely. for two years and they pay, they pay to go on the mission. The knock yeah. on door is getting rejection after rejection after rejection, and they still keep going. And I remember I asked one of these guys and I said, how do you do it? And he said, it's easy. He says, they're just not ready yet. That was his term. That's how he dealt with it. And I just was. Fascinated by the simplicity, because I think if you overcomplicate rejection, and I'm sure MLMs, as you describe it, um, which is out in the street where you're dealing with the public, is the same. You're getting a lot of rejection, people ignoring you. And I think if you don't have a strong, healthy self, self, sense of balance and self-esteem, it's easy to let that get to you. And yeah, so hats off to anybody who does that. I think... If, 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 if somebody was in an interview situation, I'd give them extra 10 extra points off the bat before I them, if they've done any kind of door to door. And, 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 and on top of, you know, those things, right. The, the job didn't even off, we didn't even have a base. So it mm -hmm. was a hundred percent commission. And there were weeks where, you know, the first weeks I was struggling to learn the system, not making any money. Yeah. And I, I it can, I can imagine. I've seen it with a lot of like my period or reps that were joining without the intention to succeed and thought that this would be a side gig. Um, you know, it, the frustration of getting rejections, it compounds that get to your head. Indeed, yeah. it, 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 it's, it can be soul crushing. Yeah. The, the willingness and ability to back yourself and then that wall of rejection come through that you're, you're, you're already, you're a standout <laughs> from, from a sales point of view. Yeah, I, I, so too. And I, when I see reps joining or, or if I'm, if I'm, um, hiring, I, I give that, uh, this guy or this woman, yeah. they, they're going to persist. Uh, yeah. you know, even if they're going to struggle, they're, they're really going to try their best and hardest at, at succeeding. For sure. I'm interested in your leader transition. You're going from a, a, a role where you're, 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 you're only responsible for yourself yeah. and delivering your own number to now where you're responsible for others yeah. and you're measured on their number. What was your experience of that transition to the where you felt I've got this? Oh, so actually to, to be transparent, uh, um, a more of a leadership role in my previous role, um, mm -hmm. in my previous company at Backbase, where I did manage several reps with me. However, I decided to, uh, to become a single contributor again. Mm -hmm. And even though my title says a, a VP, it's more of a, an it's classified a seniority mm -hmm. within a, within a company. Mm -hmm. um, but I can, I can talk to my experience as a leader and also I can talk, uh, talk, perhaps I transitioned back to becoming a single contributor. Um, these, yeah, I think it, because I think it, it looks like 
perhaps, perhaps in, mm. in, in many people's, people's eyes. So, so I think joining and sort of growing into a position where I'm managing reps. What I enjoyed was seeing the success become, become successful and seeing that success fruition, you know, or, mm. or flourish. That, that is only with individuals, um, that get their best or, or try their best to become successful and listen to your advice or, or listen to your guidance or, or uh, see the eagerness that they want to be successful. And I've mm -hmm. had the experience being like that and, and, um, I think that it's a beautiful chemistry. And, and I, I learn as well from them as well, from their experiences and enjoyable. But I also saw the other side, which is managing, um, not you wish them to put out, um, not because, um, they're incapable of, but because they just don't want to, um, and you can see that there's this lack of desire, especially mm -hmm. in I find that very strange and I find that very, um, um, disenchanting because if you're going to go into this space, if you're going to go into sales where you have to be a hunter, you have to be proactive and you have individuals that are slacking that put me off and, and in a country or in a, in a, in a corporate culture where, you know, letting people go is not something that you do. European Union, we have strict labor laws and things like that. And not saying that we, you know, that's the, that's the want for people that are suboptimal. I would love to find creative solutions to, to, to and we tried many of you, but when you exhaust those options and, and then you come to a point where you, you simply not cut them loose or let's say onto individuals that are forming, um, and you just have to sort of keep them there, uh, until their own realization that this is not for them. That is, um, that is something that unlike sales, you are not over control of those variables, right? You, that's, those are variables that you're not in control. You have to deal with, but they're bringing you down and you can't turn that around in sales. You know, yes, you get rejection onto the next one. And you learn from that rejection, you make a post-mortem and you learn, oh, next time, if this comes up in a sales cycle, that's a yellow flag. That's a need to check my bases. I need to validate. I can't do that when you manage, um, in a, where, you know, let's say firing someone or, 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 or getting someone to move on is, 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 is very difficult. I think in the United States or countries. Sales is a bit more cutthroat and is a bit more of a revolving door. Those who make it, those who don't, well, tough luck, go to a different industry, try something else. Mm. That's not possible in, in certain countries in the European mm. Union. And that's why I felt, yeah, maybe I, I prefer going back to a single, um, even though I, I definitely enjoyed the management aspect of it and, and, and leading the one leaders themselves in the future. Mm. I'm wondering, I can imagine this, but you tell me if I'm wrong. You might've wanted success for them more than they wanted it for themselves. Yeah. Which is a yeah. kind of frustration. The wrong way to go about it. I, I definitely see for example, my mentors or my managers above the time, um, they're cut for very much cut out for that, um, for, for being leaders, um, the good and the bad, right? I thought, mm. you know, I wanted to just take the good in those situations. Um, and I think mm. maybe in the future I revisit, I revisit that noticing that being a single contributor has its limits. Mm. I notice a lot of, um, a lot of ideas for optimization. In terms of sales approach, in terms of methodology, accountability, 
um, team team coherence, those types of things um, I want to bring to the table. If you're not a leader, those are difficult. Those are difficult um, get others to adopt. Uh, so you, so there, there's sort of a, a yeah. to and fro in my mind of whether I want to yeah. go back to that or not. And you've also got the ability to be able to adapt seamlessly amongst different cultures. You can't, you can't learn that book and, or from a book, I should say, and you would be kind of given that up a little bit as well when you're, if you went just to managing a team, unless that team was multicultural, but even then it's the ability to sell cross cultures is a unique skill. There's no question about it. Very few people have, and that's a, a real premium. So yeah, indeed, indeed. You know, some sales leaders are not great field sometimes, um, and 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 you don't have to be a sales for shark or whatever you want to call it to become a great sales leader, and vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just because you were a sales gun doesn't mean that you're cut out to become a manager. And I managers that were that created a talk in their own teams mm -hmm. or or um. Uh, people, that were, uh, individuals that were mentors that were excellent at sales, chains of sales, the mm. processes, and all of that. Um, but you know, uh, being extroverted in front of a customer and, and making ballsy moves or making you know risky moves in a sales cycle. Um, they would they would not do it themselves. So it's yeah yeah, yeah for sure. I've seen one of the actually she was a manager at the time with my very first customer. So that's twenty years ago in this business, and she went back to being an individual contributor as an account director because she said she was just tired of again wanting success for the team more than they wanted it for themselves, and she was kind of felt her income and potential was being held hostage. And over people, she, she couldn't easily fire. Yeah. And she just said, you know what? I have a choice. My family first. Yeah. I'm going to do what's best for them. And yeah. she said, I'd rather be an excellent individual contributor than be kind of struggling as a manager. Not because she didn't have the nows to be a good manager, but there were so many obstacles over which she had no control. But she was yeah. in full control as an individual contributor. Yeah. So, uh, I would imagine you're going to see more yeah, of that. It's, I, I, I admire um, amazingly individuals who are able to unlock that potential of people that mm. are indeed motivated. I mean, that, that, that takes an insane amount of skill. It's almost an art form. You see it with coach, you know, in sports leagues. I mean, you, you have to put those individuals on a pedestal because I think it's yeah. a, the 10x, 100x harder job to, to, yeah. to do that than being a single contributor, yeah. Yeah, it's true. The sports analogy is a one because on one level, they're trying to manage people with massive in egos who, who probably, you know, could walk into another role on even more money in the morning. On the other hand, they have tools available to them that a manager in an enterprise organization doesn't have, as in they can cut a player from a team if they're not measuring up True. and they can sell a player, just you, you can't as you said, in, in Europe, it's so much more difficult to do that. Tell me, uh, inspires you as, um, as, uh, in terms of famous individuals or in terms of people close to me or in terms of who comes to mind? Who's had your life? Definitely my father. Um, um, I think also my first, my two sales mentors in enterprise. Um, one, uh, one out of Australia. So Matipa, who was my, my pre uh, leader, um, in, uh, Previous company, um, Dave Chappelle, 
like the community. There's me, several comedians, Ricky G are coming back to loving stand um, as um, I think several actors and several yeah um, yeah business business gurus as well but I think the reason why I, I I'm inspired by those stand-up comedians on top of you know my professional let's say mentors or my family is and it's their job is to get very close to the line the line being the one that you cross where you start yeah. offending everyone. And I think yeah. I naturally do that. And I had like with different cultures and try to understand where is that line? Mm. Because I like, I like making people laugh. Every culture, um, has humor, mm. but you need to figure out, you need to figure um, where is that line? Where is that boundary? And you, you get there and some cultures, I mean, it's, it's up here, right? And some cultures is down here and the art figuring that out with, without ever going across the line and just stepping over and get a laughs, I think is, is something that mm. I actually do. And when I look, when I, when I see comedians having made a, a great career out of that and, and being revered for that, it's, it's enjoyable and it's inspiring to see that. Yeah. Mm. There's something else as well. I think the courage to stand in front of the live audience and put yourself out there and risk as, you know, dying and risk. And, and I think now in, in a world of social media, it's, it's hundred X the, the blowback because as you get to that line, there's always going to be lines you've already crossed and, 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 and instead courage. of getting. Yeah, and instead of like uh, getting one rejection, right? Like in door-to-door -door sales, you're getting a, a rejection in front of millions or thousands of all at once. Yeah, um, yeah. So indeed, yeah. It, I saw, her, I heard, listened to a reviewer on the weekend at the latest uh, Netflix um, show, stand up, and uh, he was he was so angry. This, this man is just not funny and it's not about this it's, not, it's just not funny and I'm thinking I found him hilarious I loved and I'm, I know my wife wouldn't find him funny at all just because of her type of humor cunt but it's just it's, it's, it's interesting to see the different reactions to the exact experience um, yeah but, but go back you said you're what I mean you're not funny I, I don't get angry about it I just stop watching them Oh, funny. <laughs> exactly. Why, why, yeah. why, why allow them to get into your head on? So just turn it off. Yeah. But, um, but, <laughs> okay. Question about why people would even do part. that. <laughs> yeah. I think some people just want to be offended. Um, yeah. but if you go back, you said, what a, your, your parents and you mentioned a couple of individuals. Tell me about the traits you admire most in your parents that you feel you've honored and, 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 and integrated into your own experience. You learn from those mentors more from a professional technical perspective, kind of lesson. Um, I think my father always sort of taught me about mentality. Um, he used to say quite often, and I could, I saw it in his career, um, having multiple automobile companies and in some situations also being pegged, pegged a few, let's say notches down, um, and then pegged, you know, back in legacy, traditional sort of corporate cultures mm -hmm. where it's not a constant, you know, um, Seeing him not be demotivated by that, although from and, and coming back on top and in mm. his career um, at several at several locations, I think has sort of yeah top success is built built based on challenges. It's not built overnight, um, and and I think my mother as well for you know traits that I I saw from my mother is is that she supported the family unit and supported the, the decisions to far from home and to, and, and, and to make it 
that the, the family stays as a coherent unit, um, as well as taking on, you know, a teaching job, many, uh, students is not, it's not the easy of being a teacher is in a way or to sales in many, in many aspects. Um, but actually even more difficult because you're dealing with, you know, younger individuals that are not fully conscious of their behavior and their actions and, and can be down at class and you're trying to, you're trying to, as a teacher, improve their opportunity, mm -hmm. um, by educating them. And, and that takes, a, that takes a lot of persistence, mm -hmm. um, and enthusiasm because I can imagine, especially in a, in a, in a vertical where teachers are, except for, you know, the highly paid Harvard students, uh, Harvard teachers or, or Ivy league, they're not, yeah, they're, they're not compensated on the same level that you would be if you were a great salesperson. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so stay, keeping that motivation up, even though let's say the, in terms of monetary there, that requires a, another level of commitment, which, which mm. I felt was, was very Mm. And the, you mentioned a couple of mentors as well. What was it you learned? From? Yeah. First mentor, uh, which was in Australia, which was in the software startup where we pivoted to enterprise sales. Um, at the time, actually, I was undecided whether I would go into marketing and become a you know, marketing specialist or, uh, or someone before he joined, I was sort of double hatting and, and you know, wearing two hats and I was familiarizing myself with, you know, uh, Google ads, social media, those types of, those types of topics. But then when he mm -hmm. joined the, the difference in the level of leading marketing and the person leading the sales. And I decided, okay, well, this guy has got a lot of, um, and he is me, he's prescribing me books to read on the topic of sales and, and I'm reading those, like, you know, I'm academic education around sales on top of a practical, um, and, and that was very, very helpful. And, and we've, we've remained, yeah, long, long-term friends since Ooh. that, uh, experience. And, 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 and then, and sorry, go sorry. ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah. And then, and then the second mentor, I, I got to say my first real, uh, large field, mm. you know, large deal institutions in the, in the multi-millions, uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, uh, the size of the deals. And, and, and that was thanks to, um, previously in, in my previous, in the previous place I worked for, um, Matthias and, and he, I think both an excellent sales gun and an excellent man, both the best of both worlds in one, mm. um, and, and, and he was very empathetic you know, were struggling, but could see that he was, they were putting the always there if you needed a shoulder to, uh, and always there to celebrate your successes. And I think that was, um, extremely to grow, um, and, and, and being shielded from, let's say the more cutthroat aspects, um, that exist in a, in a, in a, let's say sales organization. You mentioned the, the first mentor that was recommending books for you to read. Was there any standouts then or since in terms of books that have made a real impact on how you yeah. think about the world? Um, I think a couple that, that come to mind, uh, new sales simplified by, um, the lost art of closing by Anthony Narino. Mm -hmm. Uh, by, uh, the, I think it's the, the VP of, I think it was the VP of engineering actually from HubSpot. Mm. Um, 
Oh, so uh, side. Roger. Yeah. So he was on the engineering side, but he actually yes. came up with a sort of formula internally in HubSpot to scale the business on the sales side. So you a very mathematical, mathematical approach to, to scaling, to recruiting as well. Today I, I, I use that in my practices, mm -hmm. uh, of course the challenge sale one. And so it's a, quite a different and, and, and never split the difference by uh, Chris Voss, who I think was on your show. Um, so yeah, all, all fantastic books. And to be honest, I'm embarrassed. I haven't picked up a, a sales book in, in a year now, and I should get back to it to refresh my memory. But I think, I think it's because I've compounded the, the learnings and the experience that I feel that I don't, yeah. I've lost sort of that student mentality, but I, but it's yeah. having a student mentality will enable me to keep growing. So I, I definitely should pick up a book again. <laughs> well, I, I was actually thinking about this just this morning. I was, I bought, I was in Malta a few weeks ago. I bought this little book and it was about espionage during the second world war. Okay. Uh, Malta just seemed to play this really interesting ro ro role in conflict throughout decades because of its geographic location. I, was, I said centuries, I should say, not decades. And, um, but it was fascinating and the talking about books that had been written about spying and espionage. And I thought, you know what, back then, that was the only way to document your and, and, and share it. But we have so many ways, podcasts, videos, or, you know, YouTube, uh, articles that are, that proliferate across social media, specific, specifically LinkedIn. And even just little, I was reading a few this morning from and I'm seeing more and more of this, individual reps sharing their own experience. And it's in a small bite-sized chunks. That's the modern book. Yeah. Because you're getting so many more experiences. Uh, some will resonate with you, some won't. But, and there's only so much time of the day you can that. So I think that's one of the reasons why there may be also pullback. But also, all sales books say the exact same thing as somebody has written yeah. one. Like, you know, it's, it's, it, it might be a different perspective and different stories in there. But at the end, the selling is selling and there's only so many ways you can slice it and dice it. And that's uh, true. I, I, I think I'm also they, afraid of this new information age uh, and, and, and what it's doing to our attention span and consuming knowledge in these bite sized chunks. Yeah. Um, I, I could. It having an, well, my own short-term memory, I'm forgetting keys and wallets and phones everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. Is, is, is short-term memory is the problem or you're just overloaded with so many things to get done? More like, yeah. uh, focusing yeah. on, on work topics and, yeah. and, and other larger personal topics instead of oh. you know, the, the little small uh, trivial details that are still important in your life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I also, I mean, they, they talk about videos. Yeah, I've seen so many, you know, make sure your videos are on something. And I think and that's BS because people will have no problem sitting down to a three hour video, right? And I just use that as one example of many where people would sit down and watch something that if the content is interesting enough, Mm -hmm. or it's presented in an engaging way that keeps the viewer's attention. That two-minute rule is nonsense. It's, but the two-minute rule is usually when you have somebody very corporate standing in front of a black, blank background and droning on about a particular topic. You've got probably a two-minute limit on that. So I, I think nuances in all of these things that we need to factor in, and the same with the books, is that we can learn there's many, many other ways reading a book and, and then there's not many, too many books that are really well written in a way that's engaging. Um, so I think there's a, I, I think you're right about attention spans. I think they are getting shorter. There's no two ways about that. And, and there's an onus on those of us who are in the communications business to adapt to that. But there's also, uh, yeah, the, the onus is on understanding Things haven't changed. If a book is poorly written, people put it down. Doesn't make yeah. a difference. The fact it's a book, it's yeah. If it's, if it's not a you know the term, if it's not 
written in a really well most of us write sales books. That's not our, 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 our skill. Copyright. Uh, yeah. 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 Indeed. I think one that stands out is this, this book, Chris Vaughn's, is a page turner, you know? Mm. I mean, it's, it's an in a way, taking and negotiating and, and, and that makes it a thrilling book to read with actual, you know, uh, lessons learned. Um, whereas others exactly. are exactly. more about methodological. Yeah. Yeah. Not an academic read. No. It's, exactly. yeah, it's, it's stories and that's what we love. Yeah. You know, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm struck by how fast the time is. I'm actually really disappointed because we're up against the clock. I'd love to talk to you. You're, you're a fascinating character. There's so much more we, I'd love to explore Thank with you. you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I, uh, I would love to talk to you more as well. And no, we'll have to come back and do a second one of this because, there, again, there's so much more. And I, sometimes when, I'm, when I have it on and I look at the clock and it's happening, I need to ask about this, this, none of that. You, Amazing. And uh, I want to thank you for that. Uh, before I let you go, um, two quick questions. Desert Island sure. question. Uh, what was you, you're going to go to Desert Island. You don't know whether you're ever going to be rescued again. What one thing would you take with you? Ooh. My girlfriend. <laughs> we could explore in so many different ways. Because I was thinking sometimes people answer in a very practical way, as in I would bring a, a lighter to start a fire. People answer that, you know, I, I would bring my favorite food or my favorite music. It's, it's about pleasure. Um, I'd say no more think, on that. I think it's to share the, the, the moment probably with, with someone that you love is the reason why I answered that. Oh, you're an old romantic. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, also two two. And one, I think it's easier to survive on a desert island, perhaps with two people instead of one. So that is very true. That is true. And with that company, you won't go crazy. Um, <laughs> exactly. Or, yeah. or you do, but then. <laughs> yeah. And we were talking about books. If there was a book written about your life, when your this planet is done, the book written about your life, what would you like Oof. the title of it to be? I have not, I've never, I don't know if I want to answer that one because I don't know if I want a book written about me. I'm not sure. It's a, okay. it's a difficult one. But your day decides to write it. What are you going to do? do. Right, let, let me ask you to Okay. Don't hesitate to cross the line. That, that would be the title. Of the book. I love that. I love that. <laughs> That's, that that'll do. Yeah. Pierre Bure, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been an absolute thank pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.